Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey, welcome back to another scathing episode of Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers and John Carlton here. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing, Kev? Doing great, buddy. It's great to be back with you. And this is a hot topic. I'm really excited about today's uh, premise, as it were. Uh, we get asked about this a lot. You're legendary for this. And it's uh, essentially how to become a colorful writer. And it's interesting because you don't necessarily have to live a colorful, exciting life to write you know, uh, prose and copy that leaps off the page. But you do have to understand, you know, how uh, people like that think. Uh, you have to be able to tap into something. And you and I were just talking about how most writers we know do possess this sort of way of thinking. They, they, they're not wild people necessarily. But when you speak to them, they speak very colorfully. They're quick with a joke or to light up your smoke. <laughs> yeah. And basically, they're, they're the guys you want to spend time with. They're the guys yeah. that, you know, the, the, the top call our, our top colleagues, the A-listers who really stand out the, are guys that I have flown, you know, halfway across the country just to hang out with before. And, you know, I've, I go out of my way to hang, hang out yeah. with these guys. And it's because they're so they're so refreshing as individuals. They're funny. The, they, they're memorable. Every, everything they talk about. And it's worthwhile to get into that. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a special club, you know. Uh, to the listeners, Kevin and I were talking about the structure, the the metaphor for the building of that houses the minds of the best writers, or just just all writers. And we talked about you know the penthouse would be the place where the best writers live it's it's an exclusive uh, uh part of real estate uh you can only get there by a private elevator it's, it's hard to break in it's hard to find out you don't even know who, when they're up there or what they're at and there's a lot of rumors and myths about it yeah. but the the best writers wind up in exclusive groups uh that often do not let other people in just because well, actually, you'll probably find out as we're talking. <laughs> and then we talked about in this mythical building that we're talking about, the there are a huge group of writers who would be on what we call the mezzanine, which, as Kevin talked about, was is an easy place to get to in a hotel. You you know just take take the escalator up. You know, it doesn't require you know a key card, and anyone can go up there. And it is relatively easy to get to that point above most writers where your writing is better than the mundane, boring stuff that, that a lot of uh, rookie writers put out and a lot of writers that never uh, get into their groove put out. But there's a long way to go above being in that just better than the bulk. Mm -hmm. You know, just, just being better than mediocre was never good enough for any of the top writers that I, I know. Mm. And uh, there's, there, there's, there's an attitude, there's a reason that the, the best writers get up to that penthouse, we'll call it. And then, of course, we talked about the majority of writers, really, um, you know, are, are kind of slugs that live in the parking garage, you know, <laughs> underneath <laughs> underneath this, this building. It's, 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 you know, it's a place you go into and spend as little time in as possible. And, uh, you know, it's just dark kind of, down there. It's gloom, dark and dig and there's yeah. wine bottles and urine in the corner from the, <laughs> the homeless guy that sleeps there in your car if you leave it unlocked at night, you know. But it's like, you know, you want to, you know, it, it, when you get into the career of writing, it's good that, that you start at the basement mm -hmm. because you want to be motivated to get the hell out of there. You want to move up. You know, you want to get up to the regular part 
uh, the hotel and then uh, up to the mezzanine, up to the part, you know, you, you want to move as quickly as possible away from that drudgery of the dungeon and and get to a point where your stuff perks up and and your writing perks up and your life perks up. And then, of course, you know, the dream is for everybody is to get to that point where you're a celebrated writer, where you actually have a reputation. Mm -hmm. You know, some some writers come to me and they're afraid to uh, write certain things or afraid, afraid to be too ballsy and forward and outrageous in their copy because they say, what about my reputation? And my answer <laughs> to them is, what reputation? You haven't got one yet. Huh. You know, why don't you get a reputation first before you start worrying about it? Um, yeah. You know, when, when you're, a, when you're a, an, an anonymous writer, when you're struggling, when you're trying to get somewhere, the last thing I think you want to worry about is protecting your legacy, you know, 20 years down the line. Now, I'm not saying you should do unethical stuff or do things that you'd be ashamed of or would regret. But, you know, I'm talking about muscular, powerful writing yeah. that shocks people into paying attention, that jars people out of their sonambulistic state that most people live their lives in. You know, the, the whole thing is that a great ad should be the one thing that your prospect reads today that that gets his blood moving that that jars him out out of that that sleepy state he's in that that he says whoa what the heck's going on here you got to be the best thing that happens to him that day if you're going to have a winning ad literally i don't care what you're selling it has to be something he'll remember later that he's that just kind of you know he, he's going through his day and then bam you come there and it's a it's a dividing point in his day yeah you know before that before he read your stuff he he was living a certain kind of life and after he read your stuff even if you're just selling nails at a hardware store you know you've changed his his life because now he's got other plans he has other things he wants to do he wants to find out more and you know whether you've written a vsl or a uh an infomercial or a piece of copy that gets mailed or just uh, some text that goes up somewhere or an yeah, email. email. It has to be that point. Mm -hmm. To get to that point, you got to understand what goes into living life large. And that's and that's why we talk about the attitude of, of the writers. You know, Kevin, uh, I, I, I want to get into that episode you had where you had just, you know, kind of re-entered the mm -hmm. comic world again. I'm, re I'm dying to hear that story. But I just mm -hmm. want to say... I had I had spent some time at fiction writing uh, conferences that lasted up to a week. I mm. I went back to Swanee, Tennessee, and stayed in a dorm at some godforsaken, uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, 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 Civil Hostel. War era university. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, with, with mm -hmm. you know bells. And and I've also been to uh, the um, uh, writing conferences that are very well known. Uh, there's one up in in Squaw Valley, here in near Lake Tahoe. Anyway, the thing was. I realized after hanging out with dozens and dozens and dozens of fiction writers that uh, that they were just like a lot of copywriters that I knew, and this is only about 20 years ago I did this, so it was right right smack in, in the middle of my career. And the thing was, most people don't want to really be writers. Mm. What they want is to have already written something that has garnered them what they see as permission to live the life as a writer, as mm -hmm. they envision it. So they think that a writer who has a novel that maybe hit the New York uh, Times bestseller list is somehow leading this glamorous life of cocktail parties and being wooed by, uh, you know, CBS uh, uh, 60 Minutes or, mm -hmm. or you know, starting to hang out with Gore Vidal, who's gone. <laughs> I, I just dated myself right. there. <laughs> uh, you, you get to hang out with John Ma Mayer and uh, uh, Britney Spears. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just dated myself again, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. There, well, no, she's married and has a kid. She's oh, late, man. But. Who do we yeah, know? No. You get to hang Olivia out with Mom. Power Rangers. How's that? Uh, okay, anyway, <laughs> but the thing is, a lot of people have this image of what it's like to be a writer, and they think that if they get into writing and kind of say they're a writer enough times and and maybe kind of write a little bit of stuff, that they'll become a writer. And they miss the the... They miss the real story. All of the writers we know, all of the successful writers who live in that that penthouse that we're talking about, write all the time. They live to write. They don't write a couple of things and then stop writing. They are they become the embodiment of what what a writer is. They they eat, live, and breathe writing. They they are obsessed with writing. They love writing. And to couple that, 
they lead very exciting lives. And the lives are not necessarily wild, drunken brawls all the time like, right. like Kerouac or uh, Bukowski. But they are adventurous lives. They decide what kind of adventure they want to live, how they want to live their life. And they know they have the power to live that life, yeah. to be able to get out there in the world and move like a writer, observing, remembering, yeah. uh, taking risks and, and writing stuff that, that is memorable and does stuff. It sounds odd to talk about copywriters like that, but all of the top copywriters I know are just as exciting and often more exciting than some of the fiction guys I've, I've some of these successful fiction writers I've met. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a matter of your attitude about life is goes beyond the idea that you got one ticket in life and you might as well make the most of it and let's go, you know, what kind of trouble can we get into today? I mean, so many people are boring and afraid and, and stumble in their career as budding writers because mm. they won't let go of the fear and they won't they won't allow that the stumbling can be corrected. Okay, so you get out there and you try to dance the tango for the first time, you're going to stumble and step on yourself and trip Fred Astaire next to you and, get, and piss him off. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. get out, learn, learn some more. Find out, well, that was that was bad. I better learn some more. And if that's what you want to do is tangle with the top with the top echelon, then you better learn your chops. It may take years. Sit back and and uh, you know relax about it. You're a rookie. Be a rookie. Right. Enjoy being a rookie. It's going to be fun as you rise from the basement or the uh, the parking garage up to the mezzanine. That's going to be a hell of a ride for you. And then when you start getting your feet under you in the mezzanine, you think, you know, there's the elevator to the penthouse. I think I want to get on. Maybe I sneak on. Maybe I bully my way on. Right. Maybe I take an AK-47 and go up <laughs> and force my way into yeah. the top party. No, boy, yeah. that's, that's some great points here. You you know, what you just mentioned about sneaking your way on, there was a great story after the uh, Pacquiao-Mayweather uh, fight. Did you see this one, John, about the guy who snuck into all the parties in the VIP? Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. I, I, this guy just, um, he, he jumped into, um, uh, uh, who's the actor who's always working with, um, with, Scor know, with Scorsese, with Scorsese. Um, well, it was Pacino and... Uh, yeah, it was De Niro. And now on all the last like five modern movies, it's been, it's been this kid. The listeners are going crazy right now. He's shouting the name and we can't think of it. Okay. So he worked his way into uh, that guy's posse and like what just, you know, acted like he was supposed to be there right past security. Uh, and once he got sort of, and he had pictures with, you know, people from that group and he had pictures with Pacquiao and Mayweather uh, <laughs> and, you know, he was ultimately th thrown out. Uh, but... He was, as he was discovered, the guy was so cool that Mayweather was like, no, 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 hang on, don't throw him out. You know, posed for a selfie with the guy and then said, he's with me, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> right? and, and so, you know, this, that just goes to show, like, that's the guy who sort of has it naturally, okay? And, like, you know, he just shows up as if you're supposed to be there. And I think that's the kind of thing you're talking about is, you know, what is the, like, what's the worst that can happen? That kid's going, okay, so I get booted out. Maybe yeah. I get arrested. Who cares? Yeah. So what? I got a great story. You know, is this going to be a great story when I'm done? Uh, the other thing you mentioned was, you mentioned Kerouac. And I think that's a great reference of, someone who not only lived an adventurous life, but what Kerouac kind of did was he surrounded himself with these wild people, right? And he was sort of... He was, he was an introvert. If you see yeah. pictures of him, he's always off in the corner. He right. was not often in the center of the action, but he was watching all the time. He was, uh, he was chronicling everything that was going on, yeah. Yeah, and so that's... And then, you know, he had that famous quote about the ones for me are the ones who never say a commonplace thing. Uh, and that was his whole thing is like he, so he didn't, you don't have to live this wild, crazy sort of debauched life, but you do have to be attracted to that. And you do have to want to understand how do these people think and what makes them so colorful? Yeah. Um, Halbert was a good example of that. Halbert loved detective novels and loved <clears throat> rock and roll and stuff. <clears throat> and was actually a, f a fairly good uh, harmonica player, a harp, harp player. He liked blues harp. Mm. And, you know, I tried to work it so he could get on stage, you know, a couple of times doing stuff. But he, he didn't want to do that. He, he, he liked living vicariously through various things. 
And the rest of his life was pretty exciting, you know, kind of a novel anyway. So he didn't need to have all of the things happen, but he was interested in guys that led, led extraordinary lives. And, and um, that's, that's something I, I tell anybody, if, 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 you sus- if you're listening and you suspect you're a little on the boring side or you're not happy with how your life is, is going, and, and by the way, I think, I, I'm not sure I mentioned it this time, uh, we talked about this before, was if you're happy to be on the mezzanine or in the parking garage, say, if, if, if you're doing fine and you're a rookie writer and you don't mind being a rookie for five or six years and then maybe become a middling, middle-of-the-road middle writer, that's fine. There's no shame in that. And that's cert- there's certainly a lot of jobs for writers like that. But if you suspect that you're going to get older and as you get older, the regrets are going to mount <clears throat> the bitterness is going to start to burble up and you're going to think, ah, I should have took those chances. I should have asked Susie Q to the prom. You know, yeah. it's like, don't, don't do that. Just change your attitude. And this is what most writers do is they just, they do what, what Kevin just talked about. What's the worst that can happen. And then if the worst happens, that's going to be a pretty good story too. Then you're, it's, you're kind of in a win-win situation. If the worst that happens is you get cut up into tiny pieces and fed <laughs> the hogs out back, <laughs> then yeah, that's, you know, let's, let's not go try to hang out with Hannibal Lecter right now, you know, while you're a rookie, but let's, you know, you know, you know, balance things. What's the risks involved here? And, you know, what does it take to be a ballsy writer? So you got to start listening to ballsy writers and what they do and how they write and, and what they do with a piece of copy. And you got to start injecting your own writing with stuff, but at the same time, living a better life is, is seems to be an essential part of of getting into that penthouse. You know the the other phrase we were going to use for the guys down in the parking garage. You know they're they're not only in un, in an unhealthy situation that should motivate them to get out of there, mm-hmm. but they're also there's a lot of people in business and in marketing who are what we call quote the guys were waiting to leave the room, comma, so we can start to have fun, end quote. And that was, that's been true for me my entire career. There's a lot of guys who are, you know, sometimes they're movers and shakers. Sometimes they're, they're, they've got a lot going for them, but you don't want to hang with them. Yeah. You're, you're going to get done what you need to get done, and then you're just kind of counting the minutes until they split and go, and go somewhere else. Because nothing good is going to happen while they're around, they're gonna they're they're like a damper on on the good times, and I think everybody knows people like this. And if you suspect you're like this, and you want to be a writer, you know there's not a big, you know, corner of you know there's not a genre market for drips, you know, for 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 boring writers. You know, it's like you go into Barnes and Noble, and you know people say, "Where are the paperbacks of the boring writers?" You know, do you have a, do you have a shelf yes. for them? You milk know, toast. I, where's the milk toast? Section? Yeah, where's the milk toast section? Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it, and it's not. You know, j- just just a couple of this, and then Kevin, I want you to talk mm-hmm. about you know, getting back together with your pals. Um, it's not about being outrageous for outrageousness' sake. I don't want to hear about anybody that decided, you know, doggone it, Martha, I'm going to take Carlin's advice and go out to the biker bar tonight, you know. No, I, I don't, I don't want, I'm not going to be responsible for bad decisions made. I want you to make good decisions. But stop thinking in terms, I mean, I've met a number of writers who are bored by their own thoughts. What yeah. the heck is that all about? Yeah. Get out of the, you're in a rut. There's, you know, the life is this grand theater full of all kinds of stuff happening. You know, go start seeing live theater and see how those guys act and move around mm-hmm. and the mistakes they make and, and the, the daringness of doing live theater in front of audiences who are armed with tomatoes and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and kaboo at any particular point. <clears throat> go out and start experiencing life in in all its different um, manifestations. I mean, if if all of your friends agree with your political stances, then yeah. you you don't have enough friends. Right. Find somebody to argue with and argue with them, and uh, you know just just start branching out. Read magazines that you would be you both you know yesterday you wouldn't be caught dead buying some of these magazines. Right. Go down and buy a whole armload of those things and read them and find out why other people do like them. That's I'm not great. talking about porn here. I'm talking about yeah. like National if you never Enquirer. get the Atlantic, yeah, yeah, or the National Enquirer, or just you know buy Scientific American, buy 
uh, by some right-wing mags, some left-wing mags, some, uh, some highfalutin intellectual mags. Uh, just start looking at how people live their lives. So, Kevin, go yeah. off on that. Well, yeah, one more thing I'll add, because uh, uh, I thought about this yesterday, about you know breaking out of your comfort zone. And I think one of the reasons people stay in it is because they're you know you're just afraid of failure or you just get it in your head that you don't belong somewhere. And a yeah. good example of the for the first time in my life, John, yesterday at 45 years old, I strapped on boxing gloves and headgear. <laughs> yeah, and fought a guy, and oh. and you know it, it was in a safe environment of a class. But what I did not expect from this class was that we would actually spar. And so the kid I'm, I'm, was probably like a teenager, right? You beat up an 11 year old? Oh, I had my ass beat by, <laughs> I mean, I, my, my, my son is 11 and he's, you know, attacks me every time I walk through the house because he's in jujitsu and, and Muay Thai now. But, but, the, but the thing about it was, I've been going to this gym for a couple of years now and, and doing like kickboxing classes and things like that. So I'm thinking, oh, I know how to kind of throw up. I know how to strike and I know a little bit how to kick. I get in this boxing class and we go through some drills. And I, like I said, did not expect to like put on headgear. And he started us. He's like, all right, let's go half speed and let's just do these drills. And this kid's like reaching in on me and he's clocking me a couple of times and my headgear's all cockeyed, you know? And then he's like, all right, we're gonna go a little harder this time. And you know, really gets, put some snap behind that punch. And it was invigorating and I'm driving home from there and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going through the list of all the things, I, I got nothing. I got no footwork, I can barely punch, I, I got no strategy, I can't like weave out of, you know, when uh -huh. and, and, and counter. And all these things he was teaching us, and I'm going like, I don't, I can't do any of that stuff right now. Like you said about dancing, like they go take a flamenco class or a salsa yeah. class, and just be damn awkward. It's awesome to be the new guy the first time, and everybody uh, sort of supports you, and they remember their first time. Oh, so yeah. like, jump into these situations that you go. I would never. You voluntarily go get punched in the face by some kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, because it's not only about coming out of your comfort zone for a minute to have a new experience. What I found is the more I get into those scenarios, I recognize what it is to be in that scenario. And yep. it's just not as scary to do anymore. So I can't think of many things like I wouldn't attempt anymore. Um, just because I know that, hey, I know what it feels like to be the new guy. I know that everybody here is going to forgive me for it, and yeah. I'll have a great experience. I just had a vision of you going into your first salsa class and accidentally clocking your partner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, forgot which class Sir, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's excellent advice. And in fact, for anyone listening out here, that's an even, you know, go, go get a, a ballsy detective novel. Mm -hmm and uh, arm load of magazines and then go sign up for a salsa class or, or a or a boxing class seriously and go through it not yoga no. you know go out get, get outside your comfort zone find out you know really push yourself and these classes are safe because you know you know you're not going to get hurt unless you go down to a gym in the center of the worst part of town you know where you know, walk in and they're hauling some guy unconscious from the ring <laughs> okay buddy you're up you know Wait a minute. I, <laughs> You're next. Come on, new guy. We need a warm me, body you, in here. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way, just to close, oh, just to close that okay. loop. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, we were talking earlier about um, sort of this mindset, right? And you talked about the fiction writers and the copywriters not being so different in regards to, you know, they're colorful and they really, they think in story and they think in, in movie scenes in a sense. Uh, so uh, my friend Billy was in town last Saturday and uh, it was great to get to spend a day with him and, uh, and see his show. And he's playing the big theater and he's a kill in the room. And an old friend of mine opened up for him and he was better than I'd ever seen him. So it was really exciting to dip back into this world. And then after the big theater show, uh, we go down to St. Pete Beach to a club called Coconuts. It's an 80 seat room and it's not the original room, but it's the same owner, same thing. And, uh, and Billy wanted to just go say hi to this guy and hop on a stage for a minute and 
you know, say thank you to this guy because he's one of the first people to ever book him back in 1987 when he was a crooked tooth, 17 year old nobody from from Orlando. And what was great was it was like walking back in time, you know, 20, 25 years to when I started because all these comics were hanging around and just the energy of these people who are just not commonplace thinkers they don't live a normal lifestyle. And in, in, in the moment, it really struck me like how special this was, was at one point, uh, everybody had, there was maybe say 30 people there. It was after the show. The crowd was excited that Billy was there. Everybody had gotten their photo. And, and then, then the, you know, the special people would kind of lingered on, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so at one point, John, I just looked around and I was listening and it sounded like, a laugh track from one of my daughter's like Disney shows where they like <laughs> force the laugh track. Like every time somebody mutters something, bahaha, bahaha, drives me crazy. But this was real laughter, right? But it was that consistent because there was these pockets of people, like three or four pockets of people, and everybody was leaning in, waiting for the punchline from whoever was speaking. You know, like everybody, so every, everybody was on and on point. Yes, exactly right. And it was just like these little magical, like little firework pops of laughter all over the place. And you could see them, you know, acting out the story and and, and grabbing somebody to make a point. And it was just like magical. And I thought like, that's the thing. And as I was watching this comic, Danny Bevins, who's a sort of a political thinker and a controversial uh, kind of a polarizing kind of guy. I was thinking, wow, this guy would be a great copywriter as I was watching his joke structure. Uh, Just like I think that I apply a lot of comedy formulas to copywriting, it works the other way too, except this guy's never heard of copywriting. (laughs) But I was thinking like, you know, he would take a premise, introduce it, and then he would begin to like dismantle what he just taught you and then make it funny. And I'm thinking like, that's exactly what we do as copywriters. We introduce a new piece of information and then we either build it up or we tear it down depending on our need, where we need to take the reader, right? Well, that, just, just, just let me add that, that getting laughter as a response, if you're after laughter or you're after the you know, slap upside the head, wow, or the, oh my God, you know, the, the revelation that you need this, those are all out of kind of out-of-body experiences. Not, that's the wrong term, not out-of-body. They're extraordinary experiences in people's lives. Most people don't lead their lives guffawing and great laughter or having revelations as they walk down the street. And that's what ads should do, the same thing that uh, a good book should do or a good comic should do if, if you go to see the comic. They're taking you out of that, whatever state you're in, and putting you into this advanced, superior state. That's that's why I meant out-of-body. Out, out so. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to do, but it's the same thing. Laughter, you know, outraged need or, you know, sudden realization that you can't live another minute without this, you know, this, this thing that you just found out about. And it's it's emotional, ass. right? Which is yes. ultimately what we're always getting after is what's, what's the emotion? Am I, what am I feeling as I read this or what am I feeling as I write this? Right. Because good salesmanship, good copywriting is a transfer of enthusiasm and like John said, takes you somewhere that you don't normally get to go. So John, let's read a piece of one of your famous letters and I'm gonna read it to you uh, as you wrote it. And then maybe we'll we'll sort of reverse engineer it and see how a boring writer might handle the same thing. And so this ad is the famous uh, crippled golfer ad, I guess we could call it. And I'll just read the headline first so people can find the ad that way if they know your archive. So the headline is, how does an out of shape 55 year old golfer crippled by arthritis and 71 pounds overweight still consistently humiliate PGA pros in head to head matches by hitting every tee shot further and straighter down the fairway? Pretty exciting ride we're about to go on. And then there's a picture of the guy, clearly sort of out of shape, doesn't look like anything special. And then uh, a couple paragraphs in, uh, you set the stage. And I, I just love this intro line right after the lead where you say, uh, it's a fascinating story worth finding out about if you love golf. Because you've just set yourself up as the writer uh, to really deliver big now. 
Yes. And that is a sign of, of, a, of a great writer. They, they dare the reader to call them out because now you know this better be a damn good story. You just said it's a fascinating story worth my time. And now let's see. And so from there, it goes on to say, Daryl, you see, is now pushing 60, uh, easily 70 pounds overweight, uh, so nearsighted, his glasses look like Coke bottle bottoms, and he has advanced osteoarthritis so serious the doctors want to replace his knees with slabs of plastic right now. And then in parentheses, Daryl wants to wait another five years, though the pain is getting gothic. Next uh, line is, you hurt just watching him hobble up to the T and wonder, subhead, how the heck is this poor old pathetic guy going to swing a golf club? I mean, the stakes are high. It looks like this guy can't do anything. Yeah. And, and then just right after that, it says, uh, certainly the PGA pros, Daryl has regularly played for high stakes money, used to ask that question, but not anymore. Because Daryl simply gazes down the fairway, settles in for his swing, and then blasts another gorgeous 250-yard drive that sails straight down the middle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, I don't know, you want to talk a little bit? I mean, yeah, yeah. You remember the, this piece? Yeah. I, th I think you actually hit on the main thing, which was the idea of, um, you know, being confident enough or overconfident enough to actually make a promise like, you know, I promise this is worth your time. I mean, saying that is not a power phrase in and of itself. It's, it's easily said. It's said too often in marketing and in life, really. It's like, you know, I, I'm going to take you, honey, on the best date of your life. Yeah. Are you? Okay. Well, <laughs> now you got to back it up. So if you have the confidence to back it up and you can start doing it in the very next line, then you're kind of on the elevator up up to the penthouse if you can do that. Now, it's okay to stumble there to say, you know, I've got a very important message for you. You're going to love it and you need to take the phone off the hook and sit here for the next five minutes and, you know, whatever, whatever that promise is. But if you blow it in the next sentence, literally in the next words that, that, that appear or come out of your mouth, mm -hmm. then, you know, you've created a hole for yourself that you may not get out of knowing that people, you know, often read ads or watch VSLs with their, you know, finger hovering over the mouse, ready to click away and go somewhere else. So you've got to make sure every word is fired up. Now that 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 part of the ad that you could have talked about could have been handled with um, a couple of bullets. You know, this guy is rather old, and he's a he's a little overweight, <laughs> and you know, and he uh, and and he's he's nearsighted, and his knees don't work so well. You know, and and, you know, this guy is kind of, you know, you can make a point. He's the average golfer. You know, he's he's the guy that goes out there. Yet he beats P PGA pros. How the heck does he do this? You know, you're not setting up a story there. You're right. not making it real. You're you're essentially, you know, it's it's um, as, as I try to reverse engineer this into what the basic principles are. I think a lot of people might even not want to talk about that. I remember wanting to do this in the ad as soon as i found out by talking to my client i said what's this guy like he says oh man you ought to see him he's overweight and uh you know he says he has arthritis i'm not sure something going on with his knees and i said okay i got the hook let me talk to him and the client says he's not gonna let you do that it's kind of embarrassing to talk about your personal problems like that hmm. i said yeah maybe we'll see if he wants to make money or not and so I talked to the guy, he says, say, you know, he says, yes, it's all true. You know, and he, and he you went down the litany of stuff and he turned out to be that kind of golfer who, you know, is on this underground golf tour where they play for cash. They don't play for some sponsor's money. You know, if you lose, you're taking out your wallet and you're paying the other guy money. And he, and he made a lot of money against PGA pros, essentially gambling on, on golf courses. <clears throat> but he was also a kind of a hard drinking, uh, ballsy kind of guy who, um, um, you know, had, had a salty uh, uh, patois and uh, uh, it was fun to hang around, could tell stories endlessly and, and, and talk your ear off. The Minnesota so he was all, fats of, of the golf world. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good, you know, if, if, when you're well-read, Kevin, and, and you've seen a lot of the good movies and stuff, my dog just came in and is drinking water loudly. I, <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> um you know, 
if you were going to write a golf ad or <clears throat> some other kind of ad and you sat down and you said, <clears throat> how close is this guy that I'm talking about? Or how close is the, you know, somebody that I'm aiming at to Minnesota Fats mm-hmm. or to, uh, to Kerouac or mm-hmm. to Bukowski or to um, uh, John Wayne? You know, you, it's okay to pick characters yeah. out and start to think, how might I describe somebody in the way that, you know, what, what was special? Break down things, reverse engineer. What was special about John Wayne? It was the way he talked, the way he walked, mm-hmm. and well, hello, pilgrim. I, <laughs> right. I can't do it. Right, right. Yeah. So, but can you? No, I can do a bad impression of, a, of an impression. Yeah. Um, Jack, Jack Nicholson. Um, uh, you know, just these, you know, these guys have these outrageous characteristics, right. these these, um, <clears throat> you know, things when you're well read and you're in your experience in the culture, these are things you can grasp at. You can actually say this guy walk had a walk like John Wayne and a, a badass attitude like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know, parentheses sort of possessed even, you know, as, as you're describing. So you're building up the story and the pictures and stuff. Yeah. What I used for this golfers, I brought doctors in. I, I when the guy said, yeah, I got arthritis real bad. I said. What about it? What What's bad about it? He said, oh, it's osteoarthritis. It's where all the cartilage has gone to my knees. The docs want to replace my knees with with plastic. You know, the surgeons, and they're saying I shouldn't be walking around as it is now. And he says, eh, ibuprofen, you know, and a shot of whiskey is doing it right now. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so, you know, knowing that stuff, that just builds up your ammo of the story. Too much detail can drown a good story. But just the right amount of detail makes it a story. It's a difference between... You know, somebody looking at their watch, waiting for you to finish so they can get out of there. And, hmm. you know, them maybe texting somebody and canceling their next appointment because they want to hear the rest of the story. And and the and it's the right amount of detail told in the right way where the end product of the story, in this instance, you're going to golf better. You're going to be a better golfer, you know, you know, from a guy who's like you, not in shape, you know, not someone you'd think, who, somebody who's going to be underestimated, you know, somebody who you know, is half blind, you know, like a lot of golfers are. Mo- the average golfer out there is pushing 60 and he's got arthritis somewhere in his body and mm-hmm. he's not fit. He doesn't have a good windmill swing. He's not going to learn anything from Tiger Woods, although right. Tiger Woods is fumbling right now. But anyway, um, you know, it's, it's so tying that in, just going deeper on this, really saying this guy's even worse than you. You know, this right. guy, this guy has a lot going on. And, you know, I took care of all that. In a paragraph, yeah. it was half a page. It right. wasn't a litany of stuff. It was it was a couple of tight little sentences that just packed enough information to give you a character study on this guy, and then it dove right back into uh, the main part of the story. So it's like a story within a story. You know, yeah. the the background of this guy, and then going into kind of like detective novels. I like I like detective novels a lot. I like the way most good detective novels center on an odd character, Mm -hmm. a guy who's different, a guy who approaches life differently, who probably approaches life most of the time in ways that I couldn't do myself or wouldn't do, but might if I had the physical attributes or, you know, if, uh, you know, I kind of wish I could do that. But they're not superpowers either. They're, they're regular guys getting out there and doing, unregular things in in the world and knowing the options out there you know people think they lead boring lives i've I've hung out with a lot of boring people and i think boring people (laughs) lead boring lives because they don't think they have an option Hmm. they feel trapped into it well i'm married i got a couple of kids you know well kevin's married with a couple of kids he leads a pretty exciting life as a a marketer and a writer Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of the decisions you make in life have to do with fear Hmm. And breaking through that fear, writers are guys who, you, to be a great writer, you got to live with fear, and you got to be on a handshake basis with fear. You don't, you don't run from fear. You don't slam the door when you hear it creeping up the steps, and you know you kind of invite it in for a cocktail. You know, it's like, come on in. You know, you're here. Let's see what's going on. Okay, <laughs> you're, you know, you're going to scare the shit out of me. And uh, I mean, comics. A lot of comics use their lives. Amy Schumer uses her life as a clueless uh, woman growing up in a confusing world as, as a, you know, uh, fuels a lot of her comedy. Um, I, I think most comics, you know, dive into their own lives and yeah. reveal a lot. 
And even copywriters, you know, it's odd to think of a copywriter revealing a lot, but you do. You you may be the invisible translator of the story, mm. but how you approach this thing and, and what ammo you bring with you, and by ammo I mean how well read you are, how much of the culture you understand, how broad your experience base is. You know, if you're going to write about golf, it's easy to say, go out and golf around, even if you don't golf, or go out and just hang out with golfers for a while. That's easy to do. If you're doing some kind of, you're writing for a health newsletter, well, what are you going to do? Well, you know, you can go hang out with people in the ER. You can go hang out with people who, um, you know, listen to those boring stories of your aunt, you know, who has the... Uh, you know, the problem with her feet, you know, who has to keep going to the podiatrist and stuff. Well, listen to what she talks about. Find, find out what's going on. Right. Get to the bottom of the stories that you are then going to translate for, for prospects in a sales transaction. I, I don't know if I'm off the rails yeah. on that. But well, you look, it, look for the color, right? Like, wh where is the color? What are the small moments that are going to bring it all to life in, 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 a, in a phrase or in a paragraph? You know, one thing I do, John, when I interview um, customers, because I want to understand, you know, their experience, of course, and they sort of represent the avatar. Mm -hmm. After I tell them, uh, get their story and their experience, I always ask them for what I call a small moment. I got this from my daughter's uh, grammar, you know, class at school, and they teach them to write about small moments. It's like, what did you do over the weekend? Well, we went to Bush Gardens. Oh, isn't that great? Now, what's like one little thing you remember? Like, what was a moment you had? That's good. Right? That's yeah, isn't that great? And so I I take, and, and so now I, this is how I phrase the small moment to the, the customer. I'll say, say it's a weight loss thing and they've lost you know, 100 pounds, new life. I'll say to them, can you recall a, a time recently where you did something that you just would have never been able to do or had the confidence to do when you still had the weight. And it occurred to you, wow, I'm actually doing this. And, when, good. You, and when you ask the question that way, you're looking for the, and then they'll give you that small moment. Yeah, you know what? I went to a water, you know, there was a water slide at the beach and my daughter wanted to go on it. And I thought I would have never been able to climb those stairs before. And it felt great, you know? And then so now it's like, ah, they're, you know, traversing Everest without a care, you know, kind of a thing. And, and so like, I, I think that's what you're talking about is if you're always thinking of the color of the movie scene of the moment, like, you know, how can you get chills out of your reader or your viewer? If you're always thinking in those terms, and that's this whole letter that we're talking about, just one of your letters, every single word is considered with the idea of like drawing me closer to the page and giving me goosebumps. I actually wrote a post recently about moments, about how life is a series of moments. And it resonated with a lot of people. So I think that whole, what you just described as, you know, looking for those moments, and illuminating the moments and, and kind of shuffling through the moments and taking out the good stuff and then maybe putting aside the stuff that isn't so good. If, if you think of it in those terms, you will automatically become a better writer because you're not just delivering facts. You're not just listing benefits and features and stuff. You're looking for those moments that connect to the human experience to that, either your experience, the experience of the reader, uh, the experience of someone who is, you know, the focus of the ad, what, what, how, however it goes, it's a, um, it's, it's a great process um, to understand that life is a series of, of moments, some good, some bad, some humiliating, some exhilarating. Uh, there are learning moments, there are moments you want to forget. Um, but most people don't recognize that. So, you know, whoever that teacher is who's having those kids, you know, start to think in, in moments. You, memories that you have later, when you look back on things, you're going to remember moments. Mm. You, you may think of the moment as, oh, yeah, remember the time that we double dated and went to the drive-in with Susie Q and her sister, Patty Q. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, the, the whole memory is there. Maybe if you sat down and started talking, the story would come out. But really, in your memory, it's a moment that you remember. There was an essential moment there that illuminated it. So it's, it's like a it's like a memory headline kind of. Mm. You know, it might be you and Susie Q in the backseat and really you had, you know, and uh, 
uh, you know, the, uh, Joe and uh, Patty Q are in the front seat all pissed off. You know, there's just a moment there where you realize that it, it, you didn't care. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I was thinking, too, about when you were talking. <clears throat> you remember uh, in Vegas when I think it was at the uh, Joe Sugarman seminar, we all went out to dinner. There was uh, you, uh, mm -hmm. Jimbo Curley, mm -hmm. me, Deutsch, uh, Brat, um, uh, Lori, uh, Morgan yeah. Ferrero. And uh, I think that was it. And and John, uh, her her husband, and we just went out for a steak. And it was like we, you know, we we kind of it took a while to get a table. We finally got a table. And we sat down. We were exhausted. It was, it had been a long day. And we're sitting there, and it took like two or three minutes for the laughs to start, and then <laughs> it just started building. Yeah. And nobody was holding back. And it was, you know, it was just everybody kind of realized I'm in I'm in a safe group here. I'm. You know, I, nobody's going to take offense. Nobody's going to say you can't say that here, or you know. And in fact, the more outrageous you were, the the better it was. And we were all laughing hysterically, and everybody was chiming in. Everybody played a part. Mm -hmm. You you remember that? Oh sure, yeah, absolutely. And it was it was great because it it you know it, it when you're writing, if you have a prospect who's reading your stuff or watching your VSL or whatever, if they're past the first headline or whatever, then you've got them for a little bit. You can lose them really fast, but treat it like one of those moments where, you know, make them feel safe and then, then let it go. You know, let, you know, go balls to the wall on this, the wall being whatever, you know, you don't want to be offensive if you're talking to a prospect who you think will be offended by salty language. Don't use salty language. That is the wall, but up to that wall, Go as hard and as fast as you can. So figure out what the parameters are that you can work in. And the best kind you can work in is unlimited. You know, you realize you're in an audience, you're writing to somebody, and that's the, the best kind of environment for a writer to be in. doesn't matter what you say. You can say anything at all, and it's going to be accepted, and, it's going to be, and you're not going to offend anybody, or the ones you offend you're not going to care about. The, the ones you're after are going to be the ones that want that hard-boiled, no BS, uh, uh, balls to the wall kind of truth telling and you know speaking truth to power and, and things like that knowing your audience and knowing your environment that's where you can really bring things out you can really start to go and pull out the ammo and if that is where your vulnerabilities and your and how empty your ammo belt is if you get there and you can't do it so you know if if you're in a position where you can't hang out with a bunch of really high-end people who are living their life, who are writing their own scripts for life, who are living life like a movie, who have adventures, who can tell the story about the adventure and put a whole table into a laughing fit where they can't even eat their dinner. <laughs> you know, if, if you're in there and you want to tell a story, you want to get in there, you better understand and break down what's going on there. What, what goes into storytelling, which is the essential uh, 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 building blocks of all great ads. And, you know, that's how you break out of the basement, move your way up to the mezzanine and eventually get invited onto that elevator, which is a better way to go. Or, you know, hosted and say, hey, you're coming with me. Kind of like that guy with uh, with Mayweather. Right. You know, come on with me and you get up there. And that's how you get up there. And you got to be able, you know, you, you shouldn't be, you, sh you should never, when you when you arrive, you don't feel like you're on like you're on stage you don't feel like you're being tested right yeah or you're on trial or something yeah, yeah that's right you're mm -hmm. not being judged yeah. you are relaxed mm -hmm. and the stuff has to come and the top writers all feel very relaxed around each other mm -hmm. and some of the funniest guys can stay quiet for half the evening they won't say anything because they're enjoying yeah you know the it's it's not a competition it's right. it's true camaraderie and if you can if you can make your ads like you know, com camaraderie, like, like, you know, you're part of the inner circle. You know, I'm talking to you this way because I trust you, whatever, even if you never met the person, but you're still, you're still given that, that feeling that, you know, you know, you have, you know, you've read this far, you're in a special place. Most people can't get this far without being offended or, or they're wondering what they're doing, or they're just scared. You know, you, you may be scared too. I was scared. You know, but let's take our fear and kind of put it aside or bring it with us or whatever, but use it and keep going, you know, and, and talk about that, that, you know, things in, in, in that way. Fear and greed are the two driving um, emotional constructs of all sales stuff. People are either afraid they're going to make a mistake, afraid they're getting the wrong thing. They're afraid to get out of their comfort zone. 
And then that's battling with greed, the greed to get a better deal than everyone else, to jump on the deal that's about to go away, to finally get the thing that's greedily going to make their lives better, You know, the thing they've been hoping for all this time. Greed is not a bad word when, when we use it in that way. Fear is not a bad word either. It's, you know, it's life. Life is full of trying to get yours, taking care of other people, mm-hmm. and being afraid you're going to make mistakes or you're going to get hurt. You know, you know, and it's just you're never going to get rid of all that. So use it. Use the energy from it. And, you know, I know that the comics I've known and the writers that, that I'm very close with, they're all scared shitless about life. Yeah. It's just they don't let that stop them. Mm. That's great. I love it. Uh, All right. Wow. This, I think we're Yeah, we're we end, covered it. You? I want to, you know, I guess we got to cut it off at some point. But wow, this was a hot one. My favorite line of the show, I'm going to recap one line. Invite fear in for a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Man, it may have to be our, our title episode. I had uh, a vision of the seventh seal. Remember that? Where the, uh, the, the uh, French uh, film noir thing where the, the night in medieval times is dealing with death and it was the image of death with the sickle and the, the yeah. thing and stuff. And he's, he sits down and plays a game of chess with him. You know, I, I just remember that, you know, it's like, you know, we're all going to die. You know, fear of death, you know, keeps us trapped in our boring lives. Right. It's like, you're not going to die if you bomb on stage. You're not, you know, it's going to be horrible. Yeah, but you're not going to die. And anything that you can come away with still walking you know, with most of the teeth that you went into it, you know, left in your mouth, <laughs> right. and you got a story to tell, that's a win situation. <laughs> and that's the way most of us live our lives. You know, we're not hanging out with the bikers and stuff, although some are, you know, some of the guys like to, yeah. you know, well, like to do that. Think stuff. about and Lucy, I, like the, the, the Lucy factor. You know, Lucy was never funny because she was in her comfort zone. It was when Lucy had to do something, you know, the chocolate's flying by on the conveyor belt is what made it hilarious she's having to figure out what to do and that's where the great stories come from and failing spectacularly that's that that's the other line of if i was going to have a tattoo it'd be something along the lines if you're going to fail fail spectacularly you know don't fail meekly yeah Uh, right you know you know that's that's not the way to get on the elevator up the penthouse okay i think we're done okay great stuff hey uh please come visit us at pi the number four mm dot com and leave your comments we love to interact with you there thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye